going to be addressing a difficult and controversial topic this morning. The different endings of the Gospel according to Mark. Most of you, if you look in your Bible at Mark chapter 16, verse 9, and I would invite you to turn there to Mark chapter 16, verse 9. Most of you will notice that your Bible has a heading or a note that says something like this, and it's often in brackets. Something like this. Some of the earliest manuscripts do not have verses 9 through 20. Some of the earliest manuscripts do not have verses 9 through 20. Now, if you have the King James or the New King James Version, this problem has likely never occurred to you because the translators of the King James didn't have notes like that. Uh, they, they weren't even aware of the manuscripts that raised this, uh, this whole question in the first place, um, the question of the authenticity of these 12 verses at the end of Mark's Gospel. Some of you who have this note in your Bibles, it, it might be this is the first time you've read this before, or maybe you have read it and you've kind of wondered about this, but you know we kind of move on with other things in our lives and, and don't give it too much thought. Um, well, well, this note is there in many of our Bibles, so I want to address it. What, what do I do with this? Maybe you're wondering... Uh, how can I trust anything in my Bible? How do I know? I mean, is this casting doubt on the, the Word of God? How do I make sense of this part of my Bible that's in brackets? I don't want to cause confusion or raise doubts, brothers and sisters. Uh, I, I almost skipped preaching on this because it would have been easier to just kind of gloss over it. Just... Uh, you know, preach on it like normal, say a few words. Um, but I, I want you to know that you can have full confidence in the Word of God. And I realize this sort of a note or a heading raises some questions. So I'm going to share a bit of background about uh, why is it that these um, translations have this note there. and And then I will give you four views that are held by Christians on what to do with these verses. Mark 16, verses 9 to 20. I'll tell you where I lean also, but I want you to know there, there are godly, faithful brothers and sisters with different views on this, on these verses, and how we should treat them. And I think that's okay. This isn't a hill to die on for us. This isn't something that should rock, shake your faith in the Word of God. There is no doctrine of Scripture that's under attack here. Everything that is said in those 12 verses can be found in, in other Scriptures. It can be tested by the Word of God and, and found to be uh, consistent you might say that we're not 100% sure if it's Scripture, but we can be sure that it's biblical. 
So um, you're going to have to bear with me and, and we're going to have to use our brains a little bit. A lo lot of information. Um, and I will take questions afterwards if you have any. I want to start with just some facts. Um, we have a lot of manuscripts, portions of the scriptures. There were no phones to uh, video the Apostle Peter or, or uh, to get down the thoughts of, of Paul. Um, they, they wrote down and passed on the Word of God on different types of, of manuscripts. Some of these manuscripts were on what was called a codex, basically a book form. Somewhat like what we have today, a codex. Some were written on papyrus. This is just a very um, thin, early type of paper. And so papyrus tends to deteriorate. So we have, they tend to be more fragments, uh, bits and pieces. And, and then there are many that are written on parchment scrolls, which is they're just rolled up like a scroll and, and they're made of animal skin. So we have these different uh, ways and diff that the scriptures were recorded and passed down. And we have thousands of these manuscripts. Over 5,000 for the New Testament alone. And uh, scholars, in order to translate the Bible, whether it's the King James in the 1600s, or the uh, NIV, or the New Living Translation today, um, they look at all these manuscripts, and they look for similarities and dissimilarities, so we can determine what the original text of Scripture was. And they've done this with an incredible degree of accuracy. Uh, easily 99% of the text of the Bible is, is without dispute. Nobody's arguing over this wording or that wording. Because it's been passed down so clearly. We have so many manuscripts to compare. Far more than any other ancient work. So if you, you took a passage of Scripture with a hundred words, let's say, only about one might be, might be debated. And almost always, even that difference would be, be something minor, something small. It doesn't really affect the meaning significantly. No doctrine of Scripture is affected. So we can have great confidence in the Bibles that we have today. The witnesses we have in, in text after text and manuscript after manuscript is beyond anything that we have um, in any other work in history. It's really miraculous. Um, God has preserved His Word with such accuracy. Even scholars who don't believe in Jesus' resurrection, they don't believe um, that 
Um, the Bible is without any error um, attest that this is this is the text that we have that's been handed down with only a few uh, smaller smaller words and phrases that are disputed. There are However, a few places like this last chapter of Mark's Gospel where the differences are more significant. And so I want to address that. And as Christians, you know what? We have been given a mind by the Lord God to, uh, to reason and to think. And so uh, we don't need to be afraid of, of looking at these kinds of things as believers and, and asking those kinds of questions of, How do I know? What evidence is there um, about the, these endings of Mark's Gospel in Mark 16? So I want to look at the manuscript evidence for the ending of, of Mark because it is disputed. Um, and so here it is. Four, four facts for you to take home with you and, and to consider. First one is that some key early manuscripts don't contain the last 12 verses of Mark's Gospel. Okay? They're not there. So, we have the two earliest Greek manuscripts that have the end of Mark's Gospel. They're called Codex Sinaiticus and Codex Vaticanus. You don't have to remember those names. I can give you a copy of some of my notes if you would like. But these two codexes, which um, was in that kind of a book format that they uh, wrote as scribes, wrote it down, um, they don't have the last 12 verses, the longer ending. They end at verse 8. Also, the oldest Syriac, Sahidic, Armenian and Georgian manuscripts don't have these verses either. These were early translations into other languages. Sahidic is, is like Coptic or Egyptian. And uh, these different countries, when the Word of God was translated into their language, didn't have this longer ending. So that's one set of the, the information about the text of Scripture. The second is that we have some manuscripts with an alternate short ending. Just a one verse. Um, and this is... I've not read anybody who thinks this is original to the text of Scripture. It reads like something that was added on to sort of tack on at the end. Um, just one verse. And um, and so, but there are, that there is this other verse that's out there in some of these manuscripts. And some of your Bibles may have a footnote with the words in there. The third thing, the third fact, is that most of the manuscripts have the longer ending. Almost all of them. 
90%. I'm just throwing a number out there. I don't actually know exactly. I don't have it written down here. But a vast majority of the texts that we have, whether it's in Greek or in another language, have this, the last 12 verses of Mark's Gospel. At the same time, there are notes in some of those manuscripts that, that show us that the scribes that wrote that down recognized that the longer ending was not present in other manuscripts in their day when they were writing. They recognized by a note that there were other options um, in terms of the text. And they would, they would, generally speaking, leave something in rather than take it out. So, uh, for example, there was a monk named Ephraim. We know his name because it's written. The scribes would often sign their name by what they had uh, copied down. He lived in about the 900s, so quite a few years, 800 some years after Mark was written. And this is what he wrote. He said, between verse 8 and 9, this is what he wrote, in some of the copies, the evangelist finishes here at verse 8, but in many, the following is also contained. And so he included the whole thing. So that, so we have some that end at verse 8, especially some earlier ones. We have some that have a little short little verse added on to verse 8. And most of the manuscripts have the longer ending. And so really what you have is this question of do we go with the earlier manuscripts or do we go with the one that has the majority manuscripts? And that becomes a question that people we have to wrestle with and, and think about. There is a fourth fact that you can, you can remember, and that is that other manuscripts combine the second and third endings. So they have this short little verse that was added on, and then they have the last 12 verses. And uh, I think it's um, the New Living Translation has them that way. It adds in both. Because they, they, didn't, they don't want to, even today, as, as people passing on the Scripture, we don't want to just leave something out. I'm not at all convinced by this, this uh, view, though, because um, these manuscripts generally came later. When you have a whole bunch of options, what do you do? You mash it all together. And so it's unlikely that that original was all these endings added together. Um, but many manuscripts have, have that little verse in there, in the notes as well. We could, we could look at church history too, and people quote from both sides. There's some people that quoted the longer ending very early on. There's others that give no mention of it. Uh, some like Eusebius, the church historian in the um, third century, and Jerome in the fourth century, they, they had these questions uh, about the, the longer ending. They had both types of manuscripts, ones with it and ones without. 
And they make note of that. What do we conclude from, from these, uh, these manuscripts? Well, without saying too much, it seems clear that from quite early on, there were both endings. And it's really hard to go back to the first century when the Gospel of Mark was written and say for sure one way or another. How's that for a conclusion? But that leaves us with, with how do we interpret this? What views are there of this evidence? How do we take this kind of evidence? And which view is the right one? I'm going to share with you four views of all that evidence that we've mentioned and, and people bring in the church fathers and all kinds of things. Um, the four views are kind of like this. And these are general views. Scholars, uh, they can go wax eloquent about all kinds of stuff. It's kind of nuts, but... First view is this, the majority of evangelical scholars today, Christian, uh, Bible-believing, uh, affirm that Scripture is inerrant, that it is the Word of God, and the majority of evangelical scholars today do believe that Mark 16, verse 8, is the last verse. That's where it ends. They would point especially to those early manuscripts as supporting their view and some of the church fathers who said that that cert, the accurate copies is their the wording were were without the longer ending, and these um, these uh, men would argue that Mark has given us a pattern of ending accounts with the amazement of the disciples and the amazement of the crowds, and so it's not un common for Mark to end on this kind of a surprising note of fear and amazement. And so they would, they would say that. And many of them would also suggest this was a way of bringing the reader into the story. It really leaves us with the question, if the gospel ends at verse 8, how will I respond to this Jesus? And whichever view a person holds, that should be the question that we, we ask. Whatever we come to the life and the words of Jesus Christ, what will I do with this Jesus? And so they, they would say that this fits. Um, and that the longer ending was added shortly after. The second view is some scholars who agree with the first view. They agree that verses 9 through 20 are not the original ending. Okay? So they agree with the sort of manuscript evidence. They would say that, okay, verses 9 through 20 don't seem to be the original ending. But they also believe the original ending must have been lost. There must have been a different ending. And so it's just a theory it was lost. Um, and uh, one of the arguments is that the grammar of verse 8 ends so awkwardly, there must be something following it. 
So that's view number two. View number three is that Mark had to stop for some reason. Suggestions that people put forward are there was some persecution going on or Peter, the apostle, was martyred. And so now no more eyewitness account from Peter. And so they they suggest that later the rest was added on kind of like a second printing today. You know, um, you, you, you have the second edition with a little more material to kind of finish it off. We have, um, you know, authors of writings. If you ever read the fantasy series, Wheel of Time, Robert Jordan died and uh, his widow had, they had a whole deal to get the right author to finish it up with the notes that he had. So some, that's kind of the thinking of some of this view. Uh, maybe it was Mark that finished it or one of Mark's kind of close associates. And this view would see that that longer ending being added quite early then, right? Not long at all after. And so it should be accepted as as um, as scripture also. The fourth view is of course that Mark originally wrote all 20 verses in Mark chapter 16. And uh, various theories are suggested for how did some of these manuscripts lose or leave out those 12 verses? Why do we have a shorter ending, right? So they, that view has to account for these other endings as well. And, and there's different theories. I'm not going to tell you which view you should hold because I think there's so much to wade through and to consider. I think that we need to decide for ourselves and wrestle with these things and not be frightened or um, feel that the weight of Scripture, the Scripture's authority is under attack. If this is something you were like, it's too, far, too much for me, I just want to leave it aside and just read my Bible as is. I, go ahead. Do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Read the Scripture as you, the last 12 verses as you do any other Scripture. There's no need to be confused or in doubt about the Word of God. I will tell you my leaning at this time. And, and that is, I do believe that Mark originally and purposefully ended his Gospel at verse 8. I think it is consistent with how Mark wrote his Gospel. Um, I'm not really convinced by theories like a lost ending. A second edition, maybe, that shortly afterwards it was added. I think it was very shortly afterwards that those verses were added. This was the testimony of, of the early church among which there were eyewitnesses in these congregations throughout the, the whole Mediterranean, throughout the whole Roman 
world. As the believers were scattered, there were Christians who might have seen Jesus at the temple preaching. There were believers who saw Jesus risen from the dead, scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And so, I think that um, these 12 verses are an accurate representation of the biblical truth and the biblical record even if it is not the original way that Mark intended to, to end it. What is one of the main reasons that I, I think this way? Um, well, I think that it is very unlikely that a scribe would take away the longer ending if it was originally there. It's very unlikely. To just willy-nilly take, get rid of the Word of God. It's a. It's possible that there was some whack job out there, but I don't think that it's likely. I think that a better explanation for why we have variations in the ending of Mark is that over time. Churches felt the need to conclude the gospel in a more conventional way. Tell more of the story. Do you imagine as, as uh, eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ were, were dying? They were getting old. They were going to be with the Lord. And the church, how do we preserve the testimony of these people? And so it makes sense that they would have added these verses. And as time went on, scribes kept copying the longer ending so as not to leave out something that might be Scripture. So does this mean that these verses shouldn't be in our Bibles? I don't think so. I think that we should have them there. For for at least two reasons. There's probably more. But the fir first thing is that we couldn't be absolutely certain one way or another. So we should do what the scribes did. And err on the side of keeping it and teaching it and studying what it says. We can do that. And the second is that it summarizes true biblical teachings. That are taught elsewhere in the scripture. So if you're worried, like, am I going to pick up something strange by reading these verses? Don't worry about it. You don't need to be on tiptoes about these verses. We test all things by the word of God, even the word of God by itself, so that we're not just picking up our own thoughts, but we're hearing what God himself has actually t said to us. So we can study these verses and we should study them the same way we study any portion of Scripture. And prayerfully observe what it's saying. Read it. Compare it to other Scriptures. No Scripture should be studied in isolation by itself. 
We should always be checking if the rest of the Bible confirms our interpretation. Because our thinking can be flawed. It can be off. I can admit that many of the things that I may have said, you know, I'm not sure about that. I'm a fallible human being. We'll just be honest about that. God has given us His Spirit so that we can uh, know the truth. He will lead us into all truth. Jesus Himself prayed for His disciples, all of His people who would come after in John chapter 17. He said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. I want to conclude by reading and briefly explaining and talking about these verses, the last 12 verses of Mark 16. And then I welcome questions at the end. Okay. Now, Mark 16, verse 9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in one form, another form, to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. I'm going to pause there at the end of verse 14 for a moment. Now, I'm a simple guy. We read the Bible. Is this consistent with what God has revealed before? Is this consistent with what He has said in the other Gospel accounts? Yes. These verses recount Jesus' appearances after His resurrection. He appears to Mary Magdalene. He appears to two others on the road. And He appears to the eleven. And if you read... John chapter 20. And if you read Luke chapter 24, these very things are written down in those chapters. Jesus appeared to many. And there are many witnesses throughout the Scriptures of those who saw Him. Let's continue and read verses 15 through 18. This is the great commission of Mark's gospel. Verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. 
And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So in these verses, Jesus commissions the disciples to preach the gospel declaring what signs would accompany those who believe. We'll come back to this towards the end because I realize this raises a lot of questions. I'm just going to briefly go through the rest and come back here. But this is the commission to preach the Gospel. And it would be accompanied by signs. Verse 19 Jesus ascends to the throne of heaven. So then the Lord Jesus, after He had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. You can see this accounted in, uh, recounted in Luke's Gospel. Luke 24, verse 51. And, and then when Luke the historian writes the second chapter, he writes Acts, we see in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, the same, this taking up of Jesus into heaven is recorded. We have the author of the letter to the Hebrews writing about Jesus sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. He is ascended now. He is in heaven in glory. And it is, as we sang this morning, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. The great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. That, that is what we uh, are testifying about when we say that he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is ruling and he is interceding. Wonderful truth. And then in verse 20, the conclusion here of these 12 verses. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. And if you read what happens next in the Gospel of Acts, you'll see this unfold throughout the entire book. You see how the Gospel went out from Jerusalem to Judea and to Sumeria and to all the ends of, of the Roman Empire and, and beyond. We have accounts of the apostles reaching places like India and China. All the way to Spain. So the Word of God has indeed gone forth. Well, let's go back to verses... 15 through 17. Verse 15 is pretty plain and simple. Go and proclaim the gospel to the whole world. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Go therefore into all the world. It's the same gospel, the same call that we've been given. 
verse 16, he gives them a, a message. Not only are they to proclaim the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection and all that that means, but there's a call that comes with the gospel. Believe. Verse 16 says, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. What do we make of this verse? Well, on the one hand, we see that baptism is important. Those who believe are to be baptized. But on the other hand, Baptism is not so important that it is what will condemn or not condemn you. Notice the second half of verse 16. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And so there are some who would say, well, but you need to be baptized in order to be saved. The gospel is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And that doesn't mean that baptism is unimportant. If you're able, be baptized. Is a sign of your faith if you have not been baptized. But is the one who does not believe that will be condemned. This is what is written in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 3, when, when the explanation is given that the Son of Man must be lifted up to bear the sins of of his people. And we're told for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's a message of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But also, verse 18, he who believes in him is not judged but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So we proclaim that message, that same gospel, faith in Jesus Christ, warning those who do not believe of the condemnation that awaits them. There's the same gospel. We have the same commission. And we have the same Lord who goes with us. We have these signs in verses 17 and 18. And there are various views about uh, these miraculous signs and how we should understand them today. The question we might ask is, is this prescriptive of, or is this a pattern for the whole church throughout all time and all places? I just want to address that question in particular. And I want to note, as you read, that this is not a prescription. It's not given as a command. These words don't say, go, go pick up a rattlesnake. Go drink a cup of poison. Okay? Not a, bad, not a good idea. 
It's a bad idea to try that. If you read these verses and you think, well, I need to do these things. Careful about that way of thinking. Careful about that way of thinking. Don't test the Lord by putting arsenic in your coffee in the morning. Okay? Promise you we won't release any snakes in our services. Not happening ever. We cannot from this text or, or, or really any other in Scripture teach such signs as a normative thing. Okay? Well, we can argue amongst ourselves with gentleness and respect about whether these signs are, are simply for the apostolic age or whether they are a continuing signs that God continues to work in the world today. But we need to recognize that these signs are not given as a prescription for the church. They're to describe what God will do and indeed has done. Just read Acts. It has been done. But to teach such signs as normative is to go beyond the words of Scripture here. What can we conclude then about these things? We can conclude that when the Gospel goes out, the Lord goes with it. And His power, and He will attest to the power of His Word by saving people and even by perhaps working great miracles in the midst of of His people. Our Lord is indeed able to work mighty works as He has in the past. Whether He will or not is subject to His will and His decree. But we need to remember as followers of Jesus Christ that the same God has called us to Himself and will go with us Confirming the power of His Word. So let's not be scared, Christian. We have a commission. We have a calling and we have an enabler. We have a Lord who is able and powerful and working through the Gospel message, which is the power of God unto those who believe, whether Jew or Greek, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'll leave you with that thought. We have the same gospel, the same commission, and the same Lord that goes with us. And I would invite you, if you have questions about anything that we've talked about this morning, feel free to, to raise those questions.